This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. So, welcome back to World to Win. Unfortunately, it is just myself this week to give Yara and Toya a break, but we'll certainly have them back for the next episode. Um, and we record this episode in the context of very significant events in the US, where a leaked initial draft indicated that the Supreme Court plans to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is a historic attack on abortion rights in the US, but one that's already been met with resistance, with protests taking place across the country. Now, that's not the main topic of today's episode, and it's certainly something we'll touch on and come back to in more, de- more detail. I think that deserves a full episode in the context of similar attacks on abortion rights happening globally. But we are going to be discussing something extremely relevant, which is the rise of the far right, um, with a particular focus on French elections, but also how these trends are playing out globally. Because I think in the current age of crisis, of disorder, is characterised by a deep political polarisation, something we've discussed previously on World to Win. We've seen a radicalisation to the left, with millions of workers and young people drawing radical conclusions about the nature of the system we live under, the need for an alternative. But we've also seen a radicalization to the right, a dangerous and worrying growth of far-right forces. I think in the absence of a strong left, much of the very genuine anger towards the system can be exploited by some of these forces and tap into the real frustration and confusion that exists. I think we've seen that on the electoral plane, but also on the streets. And these are global trends. But in recent elections in France, I think they received a particularly sharp expression where we saw a complete collapse of the centre, uh, the breakdown of traditional parties like the Socialist Party and Republican Party, both of which received a historically low vote. We saw the far right Marine Le Pen increase her vote in the second round by almost 3 million compared to 2017. But she was ultimately beat out by the very uninspiring candidate of the anti-worker, neoliberal Emmanuel Macron, who is now going to lead France for another five years. Now, I think I and many others had a certain sigh of relief about Le Pen's defeat, but hardly, and in France, there isn't, not in any way, mass enthusiasm for Macron's next term. Because precisely because of his his neoliberal, his racist, his anti-worker, anti-poor agenda. But more positively, we saw an incredibly dynamic campaign of the left-wing Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who narrowly missed out on making it to the second round, and who managed to galvanise workers, young people, around a quite a bold programme that spoke to their needs, but also the, the, the desire that exists for more fundamental change. So today we're going to discuss the importance of these elections, what lessons there are for for socialists, how they are likely to impact struggle over the next period, and what the real significance of the increased vote for Le Pen, but also the rise of figures like Eric Zemmour, uh, an incredibly dangerous far-right figure. And for that part, we'll be joined by Nico from LSB PSL, it's ISA in Belgium. So um how are you doing nico how have you been what have you been up to hello uh i'm uh in the preparation actually of a huge demonstration and strike of the education sector in the french-speaking area of belgium tomorrow that's also a sector who was in struggle recently in france 
uh, and uh, that's uh, also one of the uh, elements about the essential workers uh, during the pandemic going now in struggle for uh, more uh, funds for uh, the sectors. That's uh, very important. Very important. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, but we'll also be looking at the threat the far right poses internationally in other parts of the world, but also the ideas, strategies and tactics that can be adopted by Marxists to fight them. And for that, we'll be joined by Andy, who is a full timer for ISA, someone I have the pleasure to share an office with in London. How are you, Andy? What have you been up, up to? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dora. Um, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, I mean, the main thing working on right now is that uh, you probably know, but to the viewers out there, ISA is doing a uh, intervention into um, the Stockholm Plus 50 conference, uh, which is the 50th anniversary of the UN conference on the environment in 1972. That's going to be happening in Stockholm, Sweden, at the beginning of next month, and we're preparing to intervene around the demonstrations there saying that we need, uh, you know, system change, socialist change, not climate change, um, and try and bring that uh, a socialist program uh, forward in those demonstrations. So that's what we've been up to. Excellent. Uh, and that will obviously follow on from uh, ISA's intervention to COP26. But I also know that Yara will also be, I think, assisting in that intervention. So hopefully we'll have some on the ground reporting from that and be sure to stay uh, checking the international website because I know we're going to have some more material in the run-up to that event as well, covering it, but also um, ideas and strategies for the movement and what socialists are saying. I'm going to start off with Nico and delve into the French election. So before we go into specific results, Nico, can you tell me what the broader political, economic and social background to these elections were? Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, between 2009 and 2020, the wealth of the French billionaires increased by not less than 439%. France is thus the second country where this growth has been the most important, just after China, and far ahead of other states such as the United States or the United Kingdom. The Macron years have accelerated inequality. The five richest families have doubled their wealth. They now own as much as the poorest 40% of the population. And this trend has accelerated during the pandemic. According to uh, the NGO Oxfam, from March 2020 to October 2021, the wealth of the French billionaires has increased by 86%. Macron's Thatcherite's policy of attacks on trade union rights and other antisocial attacks has been accompanied by a conscious policy of polarizing society as much as possible in order to divide and avoid a unified protest. Alongside the serious accentuation of state racism, there has been a brutal repression of social movements, especially the Yellow Vest, uh, as well as against youth, especially those of immigrants' origin. This in a context where the historical so-called left opposition, the Socialist Party, the PS, had just spent five years in power with the support of most trade union leadership. 
it was not longer seen as a con uh, credible alternative. And this paved the way for a further increase in far-right ideas. After five years of Macron, the soil that fed the electoral support of Marine Le Pen in 2017 was reinforced. Thanks, Nico. I think it's good to put the rise of Le Pen into context, which I think in this election was quite worrying. But as you said, it doesn't fall out of the sky, but very much rooted in uh, the policies of Macron that paved the way for the rise of the far right. But yeah, that we saw a further rise of Le Pen, but also at an earlier stage, Eric Zemmour, who was polling very well, who was this TV host that went further um, in his rhetoric about the need to defend European civilization, this very racist rhetoric, yeah, was polling extremely well. Um, some people would look at that and maybe draw quite pessimistic conclusions. But I want to ask you, do you think that means that there's been a rightward shift in French society? And can you just tell us a little bit about the nature of Le Pen's campaign and why it was so successful? Yes. Um, as I said earlier, the ideas of the far right has been banalized to the point that it has even been uh, possible for Marine Le Pen uh, to claim that uh, she has softened uh, her position. Macron, again, was in no way a wall against the far right, quite the contrary. Macron has never made the secret of his strategy for a second term to secure a sufficient base of voters and uh, attract the lesser evil against Marine Le Pen in the second tour. Without a social response to match the stakes of the situation, Macron's austerity and anti-worker policies have created a breeding ground of frustration and despair even more conductive to prejudice and division. For the most part, Zemmour's popularity did not express a strong support for his uh, nauseating ideas. It came from the atmosphere skillfully maintained by the top of society and from his uh, fresher anti-system image, which is not derived from a party or uh, from the uh, traditional political milieu. Zemmour is not really self-made. It's a conscious construction from the establishment. The use of the far right to serve the immediate interest of the ruling power is an old habit in France. Uh, we have to remember that the rise of the Front National uh, in the 80s was uh, encouraged by uh, Mitterrand to weaken the rights, which uh, he feared would return after, to power after he has betrayed the program that he has uh, brought him to a presidency. But in the end, and despite all the space he, has, he was given in the media to spread his hatred and racism, his score was far below what the polls has long predicted. In the final stretch of the election campaign, it was inflation and purchasing power that came to the fore after more than a year in which right-wing teams such as immigration and security has been pushed into public eye. Between the two ones, there was, uh, for example, the testimony of a black and Muslim garbage collector who declared that he, has, he was much more afraid of having to work until uh, 65 years with Macron, who has declared that he wants to increase the retirement age, uh, and uh, for, uh, more afraid of the increase in price than in Le Pen racism. 
And this testimony sums up a lot of things. The drip rejection of uh, Macron anti-social and authoritarian policies, but also the danger of the far right and the Rassemblement National, the name of the Front National now from Le Pen, which has managed to instrumentalize popular concern by campaigning mainly only on purchasing power with a falsely social program and by leaving it to Zemmour and Pécresse, the uh, candidate of the official right, to openly spread racism and hatred of the, uh, over during the campaign. So yes, the far right is on the rise, with 23% the Rassemblement National, Front National achieved its best score, with Zemmour and also Dupont-Aignan, another uh, far right candidate, 20, uh, 32% of voters went for the reactionary far right. But the big winner is above all abstention and discussed with all politics. And we have also to look uh, at the score of the left of rupture of the radical left. There was also 25.5% for a non-government left of rupture. That's France, the candidature of Jean-Luc Mélenchon. That's also the Communist Party, uh, Lutte Ouvrières, uh, Worker Struggle, and the new Anti-Capitalist Party. And in fact, it's the best score for the radical left since 69, um, one year after the uh, May 68 uh, general strike and uh, movement. So the image of uh, uh, France going, uh, of a right-right shift in France is uh, really to, uh, to be uh, nuanced, and uh, we have to see how this uh, theme of the purchasing power was really the big issue, in spite all of the attempts for the establishment and the right-wing uh, parties to only discuss about immigration, security, and so on. Thanks, Nico. You, you mentioned, of course, Jean-Luc Mélenchon's campaign, which is one I want to touch on next. Um, and I think just like in 2017, uh, this was a campaign that really tapped into the anger of workers and young people, but also showed the real potential for a left in France. Uh, how is this campaign different from 2017? And why do you think Mélenchon didn't make it to the second round? Yes. Uh, firstly, about the dynamic of uh, this campaign. Mélenchon was given 8% at the beginning of the campaign and only 14% at the end of March. In the end, he only just missed the second round by collecting 22% of the votes uh, in the first round. Uh, those who hoped that uh, his breakthrough in uh, 2017 was just an accident were sadly mistaken. In fact, uh, at this time, five years ago, we were coming out of a huge movement of struggle by trade unions and workers against a anti-social reform of the labor legislation led by the uh, Socialist Party, the PS, in power at this time. This clearly influenced both the dynamics, but also the content of Mélenchon's program. Five years later, in fact, there was not such a um, uh, huge movement just uh, behind us. But what was clear is that the understanding of the need for another policy was much higher. 
and he presented a left-wing breakaway candidate. During the campaign, uh, there was, a, for example, a demonstration followed by a meeting that brought together 100,000 uh, people in Paris, uh, and uh, another with um, uh, 35,000 people in Marseille. Mélenchon, once, once again, led a campaign that was uh, not being equaled by anyone, and by far, in terms of attendance and mobilization. Um, Mélenchon's candidacy and his program had the potential to be seized as a lever to stimulate the struggle for a change of society. His program was not lacking in strength, with uh, ambitious social proposals and ecological and uh, uh, themes like ecological planning to get out of carbon and nuclear energy, but it remains a reformist program without any demand for nationalization under democratic control and management of the key sector of the economy, and limited to the creation of public polls, which should be in competition with the markets and subject to its uh, dictates. The aspiration for a sixth republic uh, supported by uh, Mélenchon synthesizes this illusory search for a social republic within the narrow limits of the capitalist system. Nevertheless, uh, a second turn uh, which has opposed Macron to Mélenchon would have been a huge boost in confidence of struggle to uh, uh, get in a struggle in uh, their workplace and so on. There are several reasons why it, uh, he couldn't uh, make it to the second round. Firstly, there are weaknesses linked to the France Insoumise and Mélenchon, such as the lack of orientation towards uh, workers' struggles and workers' movements and workers' demands. But on the other hand, previous local alliances with the Green Party and with DPS have diluted his radical aspect, the politics led by these local authorities has not been fundamentally different from the others. And then there was also the candidacies of other radical left candidates, such as the one of the uh, Communist Party, of the uh, new anti-capitalist party of uh, worker struggle, who preferred to present and maintain a candidacy just to exist, rather to reinforce the dynamic of Mélenchon's campaign. They bear a very heavy responsibility in the false choice of the second round between Macron and uh, Le Pen. Yeah, I think the, the phrase he used, um, a false choice, is definitely a sentiment that was felt by many workers and young people um, in that second round. But Macron did win in the end, but he did so on a very weak basis. So I want to ask, Nico, what do you think is in store for the next five years? Um, do you think the far right will continue to grow? Or are there big opportunities for the left? Or both? Uh, first of all, taking into account the abstention, Macron was elected with only 37.9% of the registered voters. He is therefore the most poorly elected president of the Fifth Republic since 69, just after Pompidou, uh, again one year after May 68. 
The president's leg legitimacy is even worse because 42% of its voters said they did so to block Le Pen. This reduced the pro-Macron vote to only 15.9% of the population. Macron now claims that he has uh, understood that his, this, uh, his second term must be more social and ecological. He will surely try to buy himself a semblance of a progressive image by appointing a prime minister with a very relative social, feminist and ecological thin credibility. He may index low wages and pensions, but basically his policies will continue to favor the rich and uh, he will uh, go deeper into uh, authoritarian policies. Just a few days after the second round on the the 1st of May, demonstrations in France gathered around 200,000 people, included uh, 50,000 in Paris alone. This demonstration, and also the score of Jean-Luc Mélenchon in the presidential race, illustrates that the potential for social response is really significant. Mélenchon called to remain mobilized in the perspective of the legislative election in June for an electoral third round and to impose an alternative majority of deputies to apply another type of politics by uniting behind La France Insoumise under the name um, Union Populaire, Popular Union. The Green Party and the Communist Party have accepted this dynamic. The PS has uh, invited itself in the, into the discussion, and there is a trap. It's a danger we have seen in uh, the um, in Greece or uh, the uh, PASOK, the former uh, members of the PASOK have joined Syriza uh, after the total collapse of the uh, of the PASOK, and clearly the uh, PS uh, is uh, totally collapsed with less than two percent in the first round of the election. There are, however, huge tensions at war within the PS and the Greens. It's not impossible that their leadership and the right wing will leave these parties. We will see that for the next couple of days and weeks. There is enthusiasm and hope based on Mélenchon's successful, uh, successful campaign in the first round, and there is a way to build struggle on this. But this is precisely a weak point of this campaign Mélenchon, during the presidential race and also uh, in the, the course of this uh, legislative campaign, gives the idea that the election of uh, many left-wing deputies will spare the need to fight. And not only there will be a necessity to fight against uh, every uh, Macron attempts to attack workers' rights, or uh, to implode, um, to, to force uh, progressive uh, measures, but it's also the best way to keep the opportunists of the PS and elsewhere out of the dynamic, to be involved in the working class and in the youth and in their struggles. And in fact, now the necessity is to build a balance of power, certainly in the legislative election, but really linked and above all, in the workplace, in the schools, universities, and in the neighborhood. 
With the help of trade unions, left-wing organization and association, it is necessary to build a consistent balance of power in the streets and in the workplace in order to, succeed, to um, succeed in imposing even this limited demand of the Union Populaire and to face the reaction of the ruling class, which will do everything in its power to prevent a real left-wing policy of rupture. And it is above all in the streets that victories can be achieved while using parliamentary platform and the media visibility uh, that this offers as a support force and a support force only. In such a bold struggle around social economic demands, we will be able to destroy the breeding ground for the, ex for the far right and move, and move towards what is objectively necessary to face the various perils that confront us, and that is the construction of a democratic socialist society. Thank you very much, Nico. And I think that was a really good way to end this segment of it as well, putting a real emphasis on the need for a class struggle, the need for a, a socialist program and a fighting strategy to really take on uh, the far right and the system which they grow from. And I think these are points that Andy is gonna to touch on more in this part where we'll be talking a bit more about some of the international trends and, and where these, we also see the growth of the far right. So we'll now go to Andy to discuss these international trends a bit more. Uh, sadly, what Nico has been describing in terms of the growth of the far right, they're not just limited to France. So Andy, can you give us an overview of if and how we're seeing similar developments in other parts of the world? Uh, and if this really is what you could call a global trend. Yeah, unfortunately, like you're saying, you know, this isn't unfortunately limited um, or limited just to France around the world. The right wing, including the far right, um, you know, is uh, making some gains or even poised to make some gains over the next period. I mean, just to give a, a little taste of how far this goes, you know, it ranges from uh, the Spanish state where the right-wing party there, Vox, just made a historic breakthrough um, for themselves in the regional elections that occurred earlier this year. Um, you know, in uh, Latin America, you have the rise of this kind of bright populist type figure uh, in the uh, Argentinian uh, situation. Um, but of course, also uh, in Brazil, notably, you still have the um, you know, Bolsonaro, who was famously elected and called uh, Latin America or Brazil's Trump, uh, who is still, uh, you know, he's up for re-election later this year and is poised to, um, even if he doesn't win, makes quite a uh, significant showing in those elections as well. Um, and of course, you have in the United States where Trump is technically no longer president, um, but the uh, the right wing is extremely emboldened, um, and the Republicans, uh, which are, have been fully captured kind of by the Trump uh, agenda um, and the right wing agenda, uh, are poised to potentially make big gains in the midterm elections. And it's not just a unfortunately electoral expression either. You know, you see these things like the riots in Sweden, which happened in to response to uh, the far right there. Um, doing demonstrations where they were going to burn the Quran, and so it's a bigger phenomena that you know reaches not just across Europe, um, but really across the world. Um, 
uh, in this period right now will be a future going forward. So you touched on the US um, in your overview of different trends around the world, where I think it is particularly striking. Because Andy, you wrote an article about this, which I definitely, we can share a link and was in our most recent edition of Socialist World Journal about the beginning of 2021, where many people around the world looked on in shock at the events that were playing out on Capitol Hill, where the far right attempted a coup. Now that wasn't successful. Uh, Biden managed to take power in the end and we're now over a year into his presidency. But, you know, you mentioned Trump being out of office. He's also kicked off social media. What type of threat do the far right actually represent at this moment in time? Yeah, well, I mean, just that last part, even Trump being off social media, is that uh, it's actually made him more popular. And there's actually people from Trump's camp who've said nobody in quote unquote Trump world uh, would say this is a bad thing right now. And I think that's indicative of kind of this situation uh, with the right and the far right um, in the United States right now. I mean, it's not just about the far right and Trump supporters, but you see, you know, we talked about in the intro to the to the episode about um, what's happened around the U.S. Supreme Court where the, you have this leaked uh, potential overturning of Roe versus Wade and the right to abortion in the United States, which would be a fundamental, you know, is a fundamental attack uh, on working, uh, uh, you know, on working people in the United States. Um, and that's coming from the Supreme Court, but um, which, you know, has a majority of justices that, uh, or has three justices that were appointed under Trump and has a conservative majority. But just, you know, the whole experience, I think, of the, of the last year or so since Biden has taken office has actually served to um, bolster the right and the right wing in, in the U.S. because basically uh, it's been uh, a series of broken promises and failures uh, by the Biden administration to actually deliver any sort of fundamental change in the situation for working people. And in certain ways, it's gotten worse um, you know, obviously with the inflation and everything that's been happening around that, the cost of living crisis. Um, and this has really fueled, um, you know, anger, rightful anger at, at the Democrats and at Biden for not doing anything about the crisis that working people are facing. And then in the lack of a, a significant left alternative on a mass scale, um, which unfortunately is not being offered uh, by people like you know, the squad and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders, who have in certain ways become the biggest water carriers for the Biden administration's agenda. Um, you have the growth and continued popularity of the right wing and even a growth within that broader right wing of a far right tendency. You know, you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, for instance, uh, in Congress, who is, uh, you know, to the right of right um, and is still extremely popular. Um and I think it's really the failure of the political establishment as a whole uh, that has fueled this. And that's kind of part of the whole international phenomena of the right wing uh, being more popular. Um, but right now, you know, Trump is Trump and the far right are actually, you know, on the ascendancy to a certain extent. Yeah, you, just as you came to the end there, you talked about the failure of the political establishment and i think it is a feature of you know 
we're going through a historic crisis of capitalism, a period of revolution, counter-revolution, pandemics, wars, uh, where really the system seems to be coming apart at the seams. And I think a key expression of that is the the undermining of the traditional institutions of capitalism, but also the traditional parties of, of capitalism, which Nico touched on in his analysis of the French elections. And that's certainly a global phenomenon. And then in that vacuum, when the left isn't filling it, you have this yeah dangerous growth of, of the far right that is able to exploit some of this confusion. Um, obviously, a lot of these governments and individuals have a lot of nasty aspects to them. Um, but you often hear maybe some people, I, I know this was a big feature, Andy, if you remember when Trump first came to office, uh, people labeling him a fascist. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you, do you think that's a correct characterization of some of these figures? Some people can draw, there's certainly historic parallels of the 30s to now in terms of a similar period of, of capitalist crisis. But do you think that's a, are we facing that threat in the current period? And do you think that's a fair characterization of some of these figures? I mean, I think that, you know, people, you know, come at it from an honest place, like you're saying, you know, I, I don't think that, for example, Trump is a fascist, um, but that's not to say that he's not an extreme reactionary um, with a very dangerous agenda. And I think that's kind of a global phenomena with some of these figures. But there are within their supporters, you know, there are fascist tendencies, you know, not all of their supporters, but I mean, there are organized fascist groups and things like that that are very small, um, but that are, you know, emboldened by the ascent of these right wing figures. But they in themselves, you know, I don't think could be characterized as fascist. You know, fascism is a particular phenomena um, that right now I don't think there's still the basis for like a mass fascist movement in mass fascist movement in a lot of the um, current situation. If you look historically, uh, what happened with the development of fascism, where it's really driven by this kind of ruined middle class um, that uh, you know mainly. Uh, takes up its fight against the right or the left and workers organizations and really smashing those organizations you don't really have that in the basis for that in the same way in the current period um, and I think that's an important aspect to talk about too because when we talk about how we fight back um, the existence of the workers you know workers organization trade unions um, the potential for new independent uh, political expression for workers and young people is a really big aspect of that. And if fascism had actually come to power, those things wouldn't really exist in the same way. So I think they're very reactionary, very right wing, very dangerous, but we wouldn't characterize them as necessarily fascist, though there are, of course, small fascist elements in society now. And those, you know, we need to be aware of how those things can develop. Yeah, I think that's uh, an important distinction. And also, uh, just when, even if they're not fascist, doesn't mean that they don't represent um, huge danger to the working class movement and oppressed people all over the world. Uh, and that's a threat that should be taken seriously and organized against. Which brings me to my next question, because I think uh, you talked about the lack of, you know, a left alternative in majority of these countries, which means many workers and particularly young people who are really eager to fight the far right um, look to, you know, different ways to do. And so some through the ballot box, through voting, 
others on the streets, um, employing different tactics, uh, counter demonstrations, um, protests, etc. But some people talk then of like tactical voting in order to keep the far right at bay. Uh, I want to ask you, Andy, what do you think is the best means of fighting the far right? And maybe you could fill us in a bit more about some of these different approaches that people put forward uh, in the current period about how to keep them at bay and fight back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. That's the question on everyone's mind, right? Especially when it comes to how we how we go forward over the next period where it does seem like the right wing um, and it is true that the right wing is making gains. And I think the main thing is to think about how we defeat the right um, and its development is think about how it came to pass and it, that these things developed. And I think some of the things that we were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, there being a, a capitalist crisis, not just economically, but socially and politically where the establishment and the existing institutions who are responsible for that crisis have rightfully had their support um, kind of significantly undermined. And there's a, an immense polarization uh, throughout the world um, uh, around the issues. And that's led to the rise of, you know, uh, these figures who have presented themselves as anti-establishment, uh, a lot of that coming through the right. And that's not something that just comes into the be into being through one election. It's not just like we elected whoever, and then, um, you know, everything went haywire. It's a part of an organic kind of decaying of capitalism um, over the past period that's kind of shaken these things loose. And so just how, you know, it, it hasn't developed just out of one election or something like that, it certainly can't be defeated in one election. Um, one of the things that we talk about, like, for example, in reference to Trump in the United States, where... Of course, in 2016, this came up, but it came up a lot in 2020 when people had actually gone through four years of what it meant to live under Trump and the amount of attacks that he put against working people, people of color, um, you know, uh, other marginalized communities um, was, you know, the need uh, to vote Trump out. And while we were sympathetic to that, we said, you know, uh, even if we vote Trump out, we wouldn't get rid of Trumpism the whole kind of political and social dynamic that led to uh, Trump in the first place. Um, and that's what we're seeing now, right, is that Trump was voted out by, in fact, had the highest, uh, Joe Biden had the highest vote in American history, uh, but Trump had the second highest vote in American history, right? And that tells you a lot about what was to come, was that we said, um, and this is similar to, I think, what uh, the ISA in Brazil is putting forward in reference to Lula, who, uh, you know, going up against Bolsonaro, is that um, it's the policies of the establishment and of these parties that led to the rise of these right-wing figures. And by electing them into power, it's not going to get rid of these right-wing figures, but in fact, you're going to see these parties once again come into power, be tested again, failed to deliver and things could get even worse. Actually, there could be the possibility, for example, um, in the next U.S. presidential elections or in the next, you know, if, if Bolsonaro is <laughs> defeated in uh, this year's presidential elections in Brazil, uh, a Trump 2.0 or a Bolsonaro 2.0 uh, coming to the fore over the next period. Somebody who's, uh, you know, Trump or Bolsonaro on steroids even further to the right because um, that's just the further hollowing out of the establishment 
um, or the further undermining of the establishment and what presents itself as left in power uh, being further undermined. And so, you know, what we need to do is not just uh, limit ourselves to what we do at the ballot box. So, of course, that is an important discussion to have. Um, and it's a big discussion in, amongst the working class and young people where we're faced with that question. But the main thing is that how are we going to build a movement to fight back against the source of this, Bolsonaroism, Trumpism, um, and defeat that? And that's not just something that can be achieved at the ballot box, but it requires, as, I think as Nico was getting into, you know, um, in the French situation, requires getting organized in the workplaces, getting organized in the streets, getting organized into our own political parties and organizations to fight back against the capitalist establishment and the right wing at the same time for a clear working class, political, and we would say socialist alternative, not just to um, the right wing, but to cap to the capitalist system as a whole. And really, in the end, that's really the only way you're going to defeat these things is by um, overturning the whole capitalist system or, uh, you know, in favor of a, a democratic uh, socialism. Um, but it's you know, it can't just be limited to this or that thing or this or that vote, but it has to be a, a much wider mobilization of working class people and young people into uh, a combative stance and over to order to come that, overcome that. And we can't just limit ourselves either as to what the establishment parties uh, deem is permissible in order to do that. Um, thanks to both you and Unique. I think that was a great way to finish uh, on the need to, I think, finish as Nico <laughs> in a similar way, um, putting a real emphasis on the need to build these struggles uh, amongst the working class and young people to build an active movement to take on not just the far right, but capitalism. And I think that's something that ISA are involved in uh, around the world on a daily basis and something particularly where we're involved in now in the US, as I mentioned at the start with these historic attacks on Roe v. Wade, um, a lot of uh, social alternatives immediately moved into action to resist this calling demonstrations, continue to organize amongst young people, amongst working class people in the trade unions to build the United Movement against these attacks. Um, and I'm sure solidarity protests will be taking place around the world, which ISA will also be playing a role in. And that's something I think we need to return to on future episodes. But but I think for now, this is really brilliant episode. And I want to thank both of you for um, your contributions today. And I think, um, yeah, for the, getting a bit more into the program that's needed to really point the way forward uh, beyond this current threat of the far right. So thanks a million to both of you. This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When we fight! When they fight, we win. when they fight, we win. solidarity.